0: Hi, everybody, this is Jason Eagle, your natural health authority, with another Healing Matters today. And uh, you can find me at jasonEagle.com. Uh, you can also find me at strategichealing.us. Um, uh, Jason Eagle QRA, that is my podcast, that is my YouTube, that is my Facebook, that's all of these different things. Um, today, we're going to talk about one of the, com- well, I wouldn't say common, but one of the diets, and that's what's called the Paleo Diet, or what's called the Paleolithic Diet, or also known as the Caveman Diet or the Stone Age Diet. Um, it is not a super restrictive, um, but it is restrictive and it's different, and I'm gonna explain it to you. The uh, Paleolithic Diet um, is basically comes from a, a doctor. His name is Dr. Lauren Cordain. Lauren Cordain wrote a book, um, and he's written a number of different books, but he is a uh, doctor at a uh, professor at Colorado State University. Dr. Laura Cordain developed the paleo diet through decades of research and collaboration with fellow scientists around the world. And Dr. Cordain began working on the concept of the paleo diet um, when he was trying to come up with the ad- and he's also known as an evolutionary dietary specialist. Okay a curiosity of the optimal optimal human diet that drove his research. He wasn't searching for opportunities to sell a book or anything like that. He was just looking to figure out, okay, what is the human made for? His journey led him to many years of collaboration with world-renowned scientists, including Dr. Boyd Eaton, Dr. Stefan Lindberg. Um, After 15 years of exploring all the available research, he developed what's called the paleo diet, or paleolithic diet which is really more about what um, they call the like I would say the the caveman diet. Think about you know so what he was doing this is just looking at biology and what you would call evolutionary biology. Now evolutionary biology doesn't necessarily let's say you're a bible believing christian it doesn't necessarily prove evolution. What it proves is, and again, you have to realize that people have changed over time. And people's diets have changed over time. And there have been cavemen. There still are caveman people. There are still people that eat more simplified diet. Not everyone goes to the grocery store. Not everyone eats. Not everyone cooks the food the same way. Not everyone cooks. I mean... You would think about even people living in the Amazon and things like that. A lot of tribes are still Paleolithic. It's the, what you would call the cavemen or hunter-gatherer, which is if you didn't have a certain amount of, let's say, availability to uh, processing. But one of the big things that the Paleolithic is diet, and one of the reasons that he went after it is because in modern day age, we're noticing that humans, have developed a lot more diseases, especially the cardiovascular disease, um, diabetes, heart disease, cancers, all of these other things. And there's a lot of proportion. So there's two diets that really are looking at, or actually three diets that are a big one, which is the paleo diet, the ketogenic diet, and the Mediterranean diet is a number one, it's kind of following in terms of how did people used to eat? How did our answers is going back to evolutionary, which is when people lived in, you know, basically out in the wilderness and then before they moved into cities and before they developed stores and stuff like that, if you had to get it your own, what would you do? And if you, for instance, now the other big thing is, is that The big difference in modern human beings, and when you go back to modern, we're really talking about, let's say, going back to Egypt, let's say going back to Babylonia, let's say going back to the Roman times, that's modern. And what's the real big difference in modern is grains. And there's the difference between, let's say, getting grains out there, picking it yourself, and then having somebody who are workers who pick it and then put it together and farmers who then take it to the mill and then they mill it and then you make bread and all this other stuff. So, you know, and there's a big talk in terms of, especially in let's say the vegan world or the vegetarian world, or even when you look at that old food pyramid diet of whole grains, whole grains being the, the, and what is a whole grain? A whole grain is essentially, whether it be a wheat or barley or rye or oats or something like that, that is the least unprocessed where it still has the whole around it. Now there's talk about, there's a belief that when we have the whole wheat, the whole wheat has the most amount of nutrition, okay? Now one level that's true, meaning the whole wheat um, basically, me go back to this. Um, I can, I don't know if I have it here. Okay. So again, the whole wheat seemingly has the most amount of tr- nutrition. Okay. But the whole wheat, that level of nutrition or whatever also comes with a number of other things, including chemicals that would be called, let's say, what would they call? Anti-nutrients, lectins and other different types of things that, let me describe it this way, okay? When you go into nature, nature has plants that make seeds, okay? They grow up in the summertime, they make seeds. So let's talk about, let's say wheat, before man got to wheat. Wheat is a grass, or let's say corn, or let's say barley, or all these different types of things. Wheat is, uh, let's, uh, it's a seed. It's a seed pod, okay? Same thing as like an apple. An apple has an apple seed, right? Or same thing as like nuts. The trees make these things, which is it's making a baby that then, usually what happens is it goes through the summertime. So let's go through the wheat. It grows a grass and then eventually makes this wheat head. And then even soybeans are another good example. What it does is it then dries. The sun dries it out, okay? Now, if man wasn't there to take it or an animal wasn't there to eat it, it would dry out and then it would fall to the ground. And then when it hits the ground, and sometimes it falls to the ground and it will overwinter, okay? Or it will go through a drought season. Now, many of the seeds wait until the conditions are right before they germinate. Now, what is germination? Germination is a dry seed. And again, if you were to take, let's say, a a wheat berry, that is, hasn't become dried because you can get to, let's say the wheat berry on that thing. And before it's dry, it's nice and soft. If you were to try and plant that in the ground, it will not germinate because it hasn't gone through this dried out phase. This drought phase, it has to become hard and dried in order for it to then get to the phase of where it then drops to the ground and then the water goes into it and then it triggers this germination. Now, the first thing that happens, especially in a whole seed, a whole wheat seed or something like that, is this outer husk layer of where that super nutrition is, there's also a release of many chemicals and enzymes that are essentially, it's a war, okay? So since there's all different types of seeds and they're competing for this tiny little square inch of ground, to get, who's gonna get there first? Who's gonna elbow there, I get it, I get it, I get it. Because they wanna develop their roots and then get into the ground and establish their roots so that they can live, right? So there is this chemical war that happens where they release certain chemicals and each seed releases chemicals that its own species is immune to. So it won't hurt the other one. But if it comes from another species, so let's say, another different types of grass seed. What they do is they block the absorption of, in particular, calcium and magnesium and all, all of the things that they need to eat. So uh, you know, to live. So basically, it's a war of starving each one out. And if I can starve you and get to the food before you get to it, now you're trying to starve me, I'm trying to starve you, and so it's the super war, and it's this war of competition, and the fittest survive. Now, <clears throat> we we get into our body, when we take whole wheats, this hydration is actually your body. It's going into your body. So when we make whole wheat bread, or we eating whole white things, basically it's, you know, ground up and all mixed together and then with a little bit of moisture, but not enough to really start that process. So you bake the bread and all this other stuff and then you eat it. It goes into your mouth, which then, you know, basically becomes hydrated with your saliva, goes into your stomach, goes into your guts. And what happens is is it opens up and it releases these phytates and lectins and all these, gliadins and all these other things that are essentially this war and this war is hoping happening in the ground of your gut. So one of the things that has been noted in modern age of a lot of gut problems, which then develop into a lot of other problems, autoimmune diseases, which is our whole host of everything, is what we call leaky gut. And leaky gut is essentially, your gut is these tubes, your intestines and your large intestine are these tubes which are basically sealed. The food that's inside there that eventually develops into poop, there's pores that it should saturate through so that it can get into your bloodstream and your your blood vessels attach to these tubes and are essentially these reverse roots that your blood vessels are sucking the nutrients out of your guts but it's not really holes, okay? So it's not perforations. What is a hole, okay? One of the worst wounds you can get is a gut shot. Remember the old cowboy movies, which is a person gets shot shot in the gut and they're too far away from the doctor. Even if the doctor is, they say, leave me one bullet, right? Because I'm gonna die a horrible death, like nobody can save me. Because if you got shot in the gut, especially the lower bowel, you are leaking poop juice into your guts, which is you will die of peritonitis. Now leaky gut is tiny little pinpricks that are inside your guts that it's leaching into your system. So who are the people that have leaky gut? Okay, which can also be, there's a book that's written what's called Grain Brain, which is a lot of people are having problems and they have, and it's not necessarily that they're allergic to the grain. It's they have a reaction to these poisons that are leaching into their body and it causes inflammation. It causes, so people that get a lot of bloating, people that where their guts swell up when they eat stuff, that is a perfect example of this microperitonitis or what you would call leaky gut. Now what made the leaky gut is something has been attacking your inner walls. So it's something in the food something, some sort of poison that's in the food that's constantly causing this swelling and reaction, this contraction and relaxation. but also it's dissolving, it's an enzyme that dissolves the hull. So that's one of the other things that these little chemicals of these seeds do, is they essentially, if they start to release their chemicals, before another seed actually even starts to absorb the uh, the water to get to that first stage of germination, it will dissolve its shell and take its protect basically take its coat away from it in the middle of the cold and it will die die of freezing or you know whatever you would call it I'm using it as an example this is the war that's happening in nature okay. And this is one of the big misnomers about what whole grains could be. Now, that's not to say that some people can't do well because there's certain digestive systems that are designed and it comes from this evolutionary biology, which is, again, the white Anglo-Saxon, the British, the Irish, the, you know, Polish, they don't do well on beans. They don't do well on pinto beans. They get farty, they get gassy with beans. Whereas the Mexicans, the Aztecs, those type of people, the, the, the Southern America, the South America type of people that are essentially made for that. and. Part of their making is is they develop over generations and people when they live in an area long enough just like the birds of what you would call the Galapagos is that they develop a digestive system and a structure in order to handle. So that's why you see a lot of the the, um, South Americans have really, especially if they're really healthy, they have really big faces. They have really big, they have lots of, same amount of teeth, but their teeth are big and they have all of their um, uh, wisdom teeth intact. And they have a very high scooped, uh, what's called hard palate, right? Whereas people over in, uh, that have generation upon generation of eating more processed foods or softer foods. Um, have a shallower palate. That's that roof of your mouth, okay? Why? Because they're eating harder foods, which means they're eating more corn, they're eating more beans and these types of things. So they have a digestive system that's designed to digest these things. They tend to have a longer small intestine, which means it gives more time for these complicated sugars in order to digest. Whereas they don't necessarily do very well on milk. And other stuff. Whereas you go over to, like for instance, the Swiss, and um, you know, uh, let's say the, the the British and the Irish, they do really well on milk. They have a digestive system that's. Now, going back to what the paleo diet is, we all go back to some very similar ancestors. Whatever race you are. The similar ancestors of every race is we ate more simply before we developed into cities and we didn't really eat. You know, making bread is a pain in the butt. It really is a lot of work for a little bang for your buck. And so if you get to, for instance, I can eat this vegetable straight out of the ground. I can eat it raw. I can eat this nut raw. I can eat these seeds raw. Maybe I cook a little bit, but it doesn't take much processing. Whereas... Making bread is, you got to have a bunch of workers. It takes, you know, days, weeks, months. And then even the baking, it takes very specific type of process. Now why do people get into eating grains, especially bread is because it's, there's the other thing that we're noticing too, is that the level of diabetes that we have because of a high glycemic index. Okay. Now there's a lot of sugar in the carbohydrate of a grain, especially a whole grain, and it's a quick release. And so the sugar, and it's even more sugar than straight sugar. It's even more sugar than honey. It's even more sugar than fruit sugar. It's a different type of sugar. And what it does is, is, unless you are a slave, okay, really, when you really look at it, where did bread come from? Where did these grains come from? It was, slave food it was basically you know develop this whole system of a bunch of workers to create this very cheap food that can also sustain you when you're working and when you're working hard manual labor that's when you look at a bunch of our ancestors they did do bread and they do the biscuits and all this other stuff is because they're going out and they're working in the field whereas If you're not working for somebody else, let's let's say you own your own farm and you don't live in a city and you have your family, you don't work that hard. You don't, so you don't need to have that, that, that bread. You don't have to have this stuff and you don't have someone else feeding you. You're feeding yourself. So the paleolithic diet is, is more of, well, when you go back to all of our ancestors, they really were paleolithic, right? And so it's number one, cutting out a lot of grains because, They didn't eat that. So it's kind of putting on your thinking cap. Now, this is not just thinking. They did this through going through all of the records as well as the Stone Age, as well as going through, you know, let's say um, digging up the bodies, examining the contents of people's, you know, bones of, you know, from these old uh, archeological digs, um, looking at their campfires, looking at their homes, Looking at their bodies, looking at the records, looking at the paintings, all of this other stuff, and and like even the cave paintings and stuff like that, it's all that's Paleolithic, which means how many generations of people live like this, and then now how many generations of people live like this, where we eat the bread and all this other modern type of food. Very 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 small, and that's when you look at, and even more smaller when you look at, let's say, starting with the '60s, you know, basically the 50 after post World War II, that's when we really see the cancers and the heart disease and all of this stuff just go boom, skyrocket. And then the other thing that's when, like, like, since the '70s up to right now, you look at dementia, you look at say ADD, you look at um, Alzheimer's, you look at at you know, um, uh, what is it, autism, the autism spectrum, it's the food and what is different, it is the food. So the paleo is like, well, how do we go back to that type of eating? So paleo is, is very simple to kind of follow, which is, you know, what are the foods that are part of the daily uh, the paleo diet? Uh, The paleo diet includes nutrient-dense, whole, fresh foods and encourages, participants to steer away from highly processed foods containing added salt, sugar, and unhealthy fats. However, the omission of whole grains, dairy, and legumes, that would be beans, can lead to suboptimal intake of important nutrients. This is when you get to the bottom line of people arguing against it. So this is where we get into, well, okay, then you'd take some supplements. So some of the B vitamins tend to be a little bit Um, so a real smart way of dealing with keto or a paleolithic diet is essentially, you know, really eating what you can and then starting to uh, supplement with some of the other things that may be missing. So what to eat on a paleo diet, what you eat is again, the rule of thumb is the least amount of processed. Basically you're not buying it. It's not in a package. It's not in a can. someone else didn't cook it for you. Yes, sometimes you have to go out and eat. But what do you get? You focus on leafy vegetables. Those can be raw or they can be cooked. Fresh fruits, lots of seafood. Seafood has always been very available. Grass-fed meat, so that uh, high levels of grass-fed beef and things like that. Root vegetables, okay, root vegetables, which have to be cooked, but they always could cook that. They always had a fire and you could throw sweet potatoes Um, In in those types of things. But avoiding white potatoes and things like that because white potatoes are actually a newer type of thing. They really weren't around at that time. Root vegetables, including sweet potatoes, which you have to cook, you can't eat them raw. Uh, Free range eggs, poultry and eggs, that could also be duck eggs, goose eggs, stuff. Nuts and seeds, including uh, their unsalted butters. So let's say nut butters, okay? Um, Now you could include peanuts in there, but peanut is technically not a nut, it's a legume. So typically the Paleolithic people avoided that, but they do cashews, they do almonds, they do this type of stuff. Now, if people tend towards leaky gut, meaning I've got a lot of digestive issues, it's highly recommended that any of your nuts, what you do is you buy them raw, unroasted and raw. And then if you're going to eat them, what you do is you soak them in water overnight, good fresh water and put them in the refrigerator and soak them and then pour that water out. And if you're gonna make a smoothie or something like that or put it into, let's say, uh, another type of casserole or something like that, you can eat them wet like that. But if you like them crunchy, what you then do is take those wet nuts, spread them out on a, let's say a cookie sheet, and then put them in the oven at the lowest temperature you can get. Maybe a little bit of salt on them too, that's kind of helpful, makes them tastier and then leave the door cracked because you don't want to you know roast the heck out of them. You just want to dry them out or even put them in a food dehydrator or something like that. And you do enough for let's say a week or so, okay? So a whole cookie sheet should be enough of these nuts for a week. The reason you do this is because the, those bad anti-nutrients go into the water that you're dumping out and then it's gone. And so then when it comes into your body, now you're safe. Now you don't have a lot of these problems because there's people that Eat, especially almonds can do this. Um, really a lot of people that have, uh, like say, I wanna do, you know, health food and eat a lot of nuts and, and then they start to have a lot of problems. and They don't know that it's because of these phytates and these other anti-nutrients that are soaking into their body from these raw nuts or even roasted nuts that can do that. So that's a good rule of thumb of what to do with nuts, okay? Another thing is healthy oils that would be olive, walnut, flaxseed, macadamia, avocado, coconut. People go, well, you know, cavemen didn't. Yes, they did. It's very easy to take nuts. And it was easy for them to find that that these oily things came out of them because they just took it on the stone. They smashed it and all this oil came out of it. That's where, you know, candles and things like that were made out of that very easily. The oils were very available, especially in olives and not only did you eat it, but you cooked with it, but you also rubbed it on your body. You would burn it and stuff like that. And so oils have always been very, very available. Uh, fresh uh, or dried herbs and water and herbal tea. They didn't drink pop. They really didn't drink milk. Now some people can allow, let's say some cheese because there was a lot of cheese that was available. They had cows, they domestic. So the whole paleolithic thing is, is well before we domesticated animals, well, Again, we lived with goats and we lived with sheep and we lived with cows from the very, very beginning. And you know, the people, how did you know to milk a cow? Like it was dripping out of them, like it was easy. And it basically, you know, and again, we nurse ourselves. We, you know, babies are nursed by milk. And so it's pretty obvious that we drink milk. People say, ah, who figured out to drink, you know, drink cow milk? Yeah, cow milk can be very good. However, it's a hassle and it doesn't, they didn't have refrigeration, so it doesn't keep. So raw milk, unless you're milking it on a, you know, it was really not part of the paleo. However, they would make cheese very easily because they could store it. They found out that let's say they they slaughtered a cow or slaughtered a sheep, they would take that milk and they would stick it in the stomach. Basically they cut the stomach out and they make a stomach and then they put it on their back and they walk around with it. And even in the hot weather, It would shake around. There's what's called the natural rennet. And so cheeses are something that is part of the Paleolithic diet. Some people choose not to do it, okay? But technically it is a, you know, cheeses would be included in the Paleolithic. You can have it or you can don't have it. If you don't do well on it, what you don't eat is you don't eat grains, including oats, Pasta and cereal, for sure they didn't eat that. Dairy products, including milk and no yogurt. Now again, yogurt, which is the old sheep herders, they would put it in the stomach and and yogurt's very easily made. So that's kind of iffy, but most paleo people that tend to be very strict say, no, you don't do that. Legumes, including beans, soy, and peanuts are off the list. Now, one of the reasons why is because These things, again, there's what the paleo diet does and why people lose a lot of weight on it, a lot of weight really fast, okay, like the keto do. It reduces inflammation. So people that have bad joints, it really gets rid of the atherosclerosis, the stuff that's clogging your arteries very quickly. So that's one of the things that this has been known for is that, and then it also gets rid of diabetes like that because number one, there's not enough sugar in there. You're not eating any sugar whatsoever. The only sugar that could be allowed is number one that you're getting from the fruits that you're also getting from, let's say there's the sugar that is in, let's say your root vegetables and stuff like that. Um, You can have sweet potatoes, Um, a little bit of honey. Okay, so what's allowed would be uh, used sparingly, which is natural sweeteners like honey, molasses or dates, a little bit of coffee, not every day. And if it's a little bit of coffee, it's just straight black coffee. Um, because those are some that, but, you know, tend to focus on, let's say, uh, you know, just water and tea. They've always had tea. Everybody took dried herbs or fresh herbs, like stinging nettle and stuff like that, and boil it in some water. They always boiled water. And, uh, you know, tea is pretty basic things. Beer and wine, very, very sparingly. They always had beer and wine because they fermented these things very easily. The first one of the very first fermented alcohol was mead. And it was really, they found it. Basically, when you found a beehive that had rain get into it and it started to ferment, or let's say you eat, eat, started eating some like really, really ripe fruits, they have lots of alcohol in it. And so people figured out and they just put it in a container and then the juice that came off of it, like that's alcohol. So they've had wine and beer and mead. Um, one of the oldest ways of making mead, which is they would find a beehive that was in a tree, like on a branch, they would actually get like one of these big pots, whether it be a stone pot or a metal pot, they fill it with water, they find a river and they would fill it with water. And then they build a fire on it and they get that boiling and then they would cut the beehive and they drop the whole thing, bees and honey at all. And they would boil that down, right? And, and basically, and then just let it sit there and then it would start to ferment. And then you got mead, which is you got this alcohol out of it. Another thing that you can use sparingly is almond flour, coconut flour, and other baking replacements. They could bake, you know, um, but they didn't use... They didn't waste their time on on the grains and the whole grains and the wheat and stuff like that. Now, one of the reasons why that this has been very helpful for a lot of people in losing weight and curing diabetes and all this other stuff is because you don't get the glycemic spikes because you're not adding any sugar. You get a lot of, a lot of people's gut problems is because they're feeding a lot of sugar. A lot of infection, viral, bacterial, candida, all of the stuff, parasitic is fed by these um, sugars. you're taking that out, you heal the liver. Um, Also, it has when you're eating the way that you should, which is when you do eat a lot of uh, leafy vegetables and stuff like that, and root vegetables, there's a lot of fiber, there's a lot of soluble fiber, as opposed to, you know, they talk about make sure you get your your fiber from the whole grains, the whole grains have insoluble fiber, as opposed to soluble fiber. And they noticed that actually what's better at actually reducing a lot of inflammation as well as the heart disease and atherosclerosis getting rid of these bad fat deposits that are in your veins and arteries that develop calcium and that's the heart attack and the stroke and stuff like that. The soluble fiber tends to grab onto it and also the soluble fiber tends to be more prebiotic which is it's actually healing the gut. The insoluble fiber, which is the, the, the grains, tends to actually, kill. it supports the growth of a lot of the bad uh, ones that, uh, in terms of the bad probiotics. So there's probiotics, good and bad. And there's, in the whole probiotics things, there's what's called prebiotic fiber, there's probiotic fiber, there's postbiotic fiber. So it's basically kind of like getting the soil right and then fertilizing it and then growing the little things that grow inside there, okay? And that's what probiotic would, but there's a beginning stage, a middle stage, and an end stage, and all of these different things that kind of work together. And what it's found, especially when you look at our ancestors and what our ancestors did, so that's part of the reason for the Paleolithic is you're waking up with stored memory inside of all of us. And again, it's pretty dummy proof in the sense that it is taking out the things that we know are causing the problems, which is the modern processed food. The modern processed foods has to have lots of, of uh, things to make it shelf stable. Uh, It's dependent upon freezing. It's dependent. So one of the problems of the, the paleo diet is it has to be fresh, but that's the best part about it because that's one of the problems is people eating a lot of leftovers, eating stuff that has to be, you know, refrigerated and this and that. The more you refrigerate stuff, especially leftovers, it develops lots. Stuff grows in that, right? And those stuff can get inside your body and can cause lots of problems. So this has been very, very safe, uh, uh, helpful for people in terms of helping them to lose weight and lose the bad weight, helping them to develop good muscle mass, helping them to get rid of some of the bad cholesterol deposits and all these other things, especially the stuff that's in the brain uh, that is really kind of the bane of a lot of our modern existence. Nobody wants to be the Alzheimer person, blah, 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 going like that, right? No one wants to forget your, your you know, your, your family members. Um, I've seen Alzheimer's and the real bad cases. I, I, I go and visit, you know, nursing homes and stuff like I have been for a long, long time with a lot of people in my family as well as, you know, um, clients and things like that. The bad is bad. It's really bad. And it starts now when you're younger. Um, So the paleo diet can actually be very, very successful for people who say, I've got diabetes, I've got a lot of these problems, what do I do about it, right? And uh, again, people kind of go, well, you know, what supplements do I take and stuff like that? Supplements are good, but supplements can be expensive. Now, here's the other thing that can be when you first start out doing, whether it be a keto diet or the paleo diet, watch out for this is what's called the carb flu. Okay, you can expect to lose stubborn weight that you've been trying to shed after the initial carb flu. And the carb flu is is when your body is used to eating all of these refined carbohydrates, you start to have this first reaction. You start to feel kind of aching, almost even get like a flu type of symptom. It's not the COVID, it's not this. Now just roll through it, you'll get through it. Sometimes that means, what do you do when you get a flu? Stay in bed, drink your fluids, rest. Okay, until you're over it, but don't break it. Don't go back. It will want you to go back. I'll just go back to my crackers and, and eat my, you know, the, don't do that. You'll get through it. And basically it's what's called a Herxheimer type of reaction where your body's reacting. And it is the bugs that were feeding off of the sugars that were going, give it to me, give it to me. They start attacking you. Your immune system the flu or let's say a a flu reaction that's a good sign that means that doesn't mean that you're losing that means that you're winning even when you do get the flu when you get the symptoms are when whether it be the fever or the body aches or something like that you got to support it and take care of yourself but that's a sign that your immune system is fighting back get on your vitamin C um, when you get the flu or especially the carb flu, um, by, don't do the, the vitamin C that has sugar in it. You can take just straight ascorbic acid, um, as a powder form or whatever, get the non-sugar one, support yourself, push your fluids and ride through it and you'll get it. Right. And you'll, but you'll notice once you get through that, you'll have more energy that you're used to. You'll sleep will improve. If you have skin issues, whether it's acne or rashes, making a transition to the paleo might clear this up as well because it's anti-inflammatory nature of the diet. It's not uncommon for your joints to be less achy than normal, right? And then you're eating a lot more protein um, with a balance of a lot more of the good vegetable fibers and you're cutting out these insoluble fibers. So again, inflammation gets a lot, lot better. Okay. Um, And again, people that do it, most everybody that does it, Most everybody, like 98% of the people that I know that do it, have lost a lot of weight in the beginning. Okay. And then you start to taper off, and then sometimes it's time to change. Okay. But it's also a really good way, too, because it controls your behavior. Um, A good way with the paleo diet is, you know, um, What do you do for dinner? You know, again, what do you do for breakfast? But what do you do for dinner? People that are used to having their pasta and having a big dinner, eat a salad for dinner, eat a lighter dinner, right? In the beginning, get used to going to bed a little bit hungry, having some of these hunger pains type of things. Drink more tea, hot tea is a great way, even hot water with some lemon uh, helps to basically fill the stomach up and take away some of the hunger pains drinking tea. Um, whether it be black tea or green tea or even herbal tea. Peppermint tea is a great thing to actually satisfy the stomach and help you to kind of get through that early stage. It has no calories in it, but it's also very satisfying and soothing to the belly, right, so it's a great way to get through it. Um, And again, a nice good salad that has your vegetables and what dressing, forget your creamy dressings, get used to lemon and olive oil and, and, um, you know, salt and pepper, um, or, you know, apple cider vinegar, or red wine vinegar, or something like that. Get used to those ones. And then again, you can throw some nuts in there, you can throw a little bit of meat in there, a little bit of fish, or like some sardines, or some tuna, or, or something like that. But again, you don't have to do that. You can just do just the straight vegetables, you know, your celery, your onions, um, these different types of things. Just think paleo. Just think what the caveman would have had and go with that. It's pretty basically simple to do that. And um, a lot of people notice a big difference. They feel a lot better. It's challenging in the beginning because you're not used to, but sometimes that's why diets work because it challenges and it breaks you out of patterns that of what you're used to. And it makes you start thinking. It makes you start choosing. And any diet works that makes you choose and especially when you are choosing fresh this is the other thing that why it works in any diet whether it be the Mediterranean diet or keto or anything that's fresh will always be better right and again think about the paleo people yes there's sugar and fruit but uh, shoot uh, I'm sorry fruit is very easy to get reach up in the tree and grab it right So they ate lots of fruit, lots of fruit and nuts, and not necessarily the granola, not the granola that has the oats in it. They didn't do that. Just the fruit and nuts, okay? Or just the fruit. Um, And uh, even though it does have the sugar, right? But it also has so much of these other nutrients and it's very fresh and it's very fresh. Green drinks are something that could always do. Yes, they always mashed up stuff and they could make green drinks. And it is, it does fit the paleo uh, profile. Uh, juicing. Juicing can fit that. You think, well, they didn't have that machine. Yeah, they did. They would crush things and they would get the juices out of them. Um, they uh, they would make these mesh bags that we do, you know, like nut milk bags and stuff like that. And they would crush stuff and get the juice out of it. And uh, so juicing is always something that was also very available. So this is Jason Eagle, your natural health authority. Until next time, try something out. Try to change and If you remember nothing, go fresh. Go fresh or go home. Okay. Till next time, this is Jason Eagle. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for watching. I invite you to press the like button because you liked what I had to say about your health. And also, press the subscribe button to be able to easily find me and also be part of this. I look forward to helping you reclaim your health naturally.